I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. Are the Bay Area's shelter-in-place rules smart or too strict? Dr. Monica Gandhi is one of the few local doctors calling them over the top. She's an infectious disease doctor at UCSF and the medical director of the HIV clinic at San Francisco General Hospital, called Ward 86. That was established in 1983 as one of the first HIV clinics in the world. Dr. Gandhi thinks playgrounds, schools, and outdoor dining should be open and says the city needs to do a better job of teaching residents how to be safe while taking risks they consider necessary. Dr. Gandhi, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you very much. So you've been fairly outspoken among San Francisco doctors in calling for a little bit more leniency in our shutdown orders, and you're um, asking that they, quote, be more chiseled, nuanced, and compassionate. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yes. So can explain <laughs> each of those three um, adjectives. In terms of chiseled, you know, the point is that it's not March. We know much more about um, the virus. And so chiseled means close what you have to close and don't close what doesn't have data behind it that is driving spread. So everyone at this point knows that outside's safer than inside. So take a look at your outside carefully before you make those recommendations, including outdoor dining. Nuanced, I mean, um, it's very extreme, I think, to say to people that they're irresponsible to want to gather over holidays. There is truly, like literally evolutionarily, a reason that we um, feel lonely when we're alone. And it is just a natural thing to see loved ones. So it's not nuanced to use the words that you can only see people in your household. People don't have the households that many of these Uh, those who are making recommendations do in terms of um, intact families or children or anyone that they live with or other things. And so um, think about where it's safer and how people can gather. And then um, compassionate is in two ways. One is um, I would start every uh, announcement about hospitalizations and cases in the Bay Area by saying, I'm so sorry about what I'm about to tell you. I'm so sorry about these restrictions. It's just it's just for a little while. It's um, and uh, the second thing is I would never shut down at this point without providing support from the city for areas that aren't clearly driving transmission. So the first clause is I will shut down outdoor dining and this is how I will support your workers because it's only till January 4th. And then um, the third part of compassionate is I think um, just telling people that they've done a great job. Uh, This has been a super hard time and just like, it's just kind of this um, different way to message it because the fear that, oh, we have terrible, um, we have a terrible raging pandemic in the Bay Area. I definitely know that that has been very effective. Fear is very effective. But I think nine months in, there are other things that people are thinking about. Mm -hmm. Do you think people are kind of getting a little bit inured to hearing that message over and over and over again, that maybe they're not paying as much attention to it as they did? In March and April? Yes, I think that um, you, you know, you don't have to be, you can be disgusted at the federal response, you can be disgusted at the former president's response, and still also think coronavirus is real, um, but still be really unhappy and lonely and depressed and unemployed and not sure where your next paycheck's coming from. There is compatibility and all of these things can be held. And so the only thing is saying we're going to prophylactically shut down before we've even reached the 
quite strong metrics that the state has put forth, that preemptive shutting down um, was a decision that these five counties made prior to getting there. Um, but if that's going to happen, then decide which parts of the recommended restrictions imposed by the governor make mm -hmm. sense and which ones don't. It seems like we're missing good data on a lot of these issues. And how do we judge whether something is safe if we don't have data one way or the other? Like playgrounds is, is an example. Yeah, we don't have data on like playgrounds and outdoor dining, to my understanding. So you judge based on kind of a priori principles. So the two principles that go, uh, this is how I always start thinking about risk. I think about four things, four non-pharmaceutical interventions, whether they can be imposed or not. And one is masking, one is distancing, one is hand hygiene, and one is ventilation. Four things have coalesced into being the ways that we keep safe. And so if a place can't mask, um, uh, if a place can't, is not outside uh, or has a lot of ventilation, if there's by definition you can't distance like a large crowds, then those are the things that get shut down. Um, but outdoor playgrounds had three things going for them. They had ventilation. We have recommended and actually mandated from quite a young age for children mask. We have um, already put up signs that how many people children can be on the swings. So the distancing had already been enforced and um, even uh, talked about hand hygiene all the time. And surface transmission is no longer a thing. It just doesn't happen. You'd have to have a hundred people sneeze on one surface and then like lick that <laughs> You surface. never know. So, These are kids we're talking about. They know. are kids, but a hundred, a hundred, that's not going to happen. So they could even lick, but it's a hundred. Um, so, I mean, that's the amount of virus that it would take to get in there. So yeah. That is all of those things put it together mean, and the fact that there's no data. When there's no data, that means it's usually not a high risk factor. There's plenty mm -hmm. of data. Or people would have studied it by now. Correct. There's plenty yeah. of data in other settings. Um, so that means that you can say, okay, that seems safe. I'm going to allow that because there's other implications for low income communities not having a backyard. Mm -hmm. Right. And you talk a lot about um, harm reduction. Usually I hear that around the concept of drug use in San Francisco, you know, giving free needles or making sure people can use drugs safely. But you're using it, obviously, in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic. So what do you mean by that concept in this context? That concept is that even though everyone is trying their best, there may be circumstances that will put you in the way of risk of a pathogen, whether it be HIV or hepatitis B or hepatitis C or SARS-CoV-2 um, or Shigella from a food establishment. There are things that may put you at risk for a pathogen and how to mitigate, how to reduce that risk in the context of you needing to take some risks like going to the grocery store or wanting your children in school or um, having to work or desperately wanting to see your mother um, who is ill. So there are many factors that go into someone's life, nine months later especially, and uh, so it's advising people how to keep safe in those ways instead of complete abstinence. Which you don't necessarily think is realistic. Right. I don't think abstinence is realistic because a million people traveled over Thanksgiving in this country or more. So yeah. I just, by definition, it's not realistic. And so re recognize people are going to do these things and um, advise them on how to do them more safely. Right. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. And if you were the mayor of San Francisco right now and or the, the head of the Department of Public Health, what would your guidelines be looking like right now? 
So um, I think there are many ways, a couple of ways that can be tweaked and changed and some that are very good. So I think allowing indoor businesses to stay open at a certain capacity is right. I probably wouldn't have closed the museums because they were really spaced out um, and masks and distancing and hand hygiene and ventilation could be maintained. So we had those four components. Then three other things, outdoor playgrounds, which was reversed um, and uh, the second was uh, two families being outside together like uh, San Mateo is allowed um, over the holiday, so outside. And then the third is I, the outdoor dining I think is more complicated. I totally get restaurateurs frustration and without data I would have allowed it because I think that um, people get driven inside. But if there's something I don't know and there's something secret that, you know, I don't know and it is driving transmission, then close outdoor dining, but allow, um, but provide uh, one month of support, December 4th to January 4th for workers. Right. Because right now they have nothing from any level of government. They have nothing. Mm -hmm. And what an awful time to have nothing. Yeah. Um, the Christmas uh, holiday and Hanukkah. And I just, I don't know. I don't think it can be underestimated. Like we get emotional around the holidays for a reason, mm -hmm. right? Like anyway, loneliness is awful during the holidays. These are real, real, real things. Yeah. Speaking of San Mateo, why do you think their county is, is going against the grain this time around? I think that all along, Scott Morrow has had kind of this more anguished approach. And I use this <laughs> word anguished because that 15-point letter that he wrote to his population on December 7th was truly anguished. Like, it was from his heart. He's like, I don't know if this would change things. Closing this, I know would hurt people, so I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it was just anguish and it was really compassionate and humble and I just think he's had um kind of a more nuanced approach the other counties have been a little more like okay we have a virus we got to stop it that's kind of what's going on and I do get that because this is terrible this is a terrible virus this is so scary but he has always it's not like this was out of the blue that he went against the grain there's always been a little bit of like huh let me think about these other things Maybe he has more people talking to him. Maybe he has more community involvement in his messaging. Oh, one thing I'd recommend is community involvement in messaging. Like we always say in HIV, have the young person come and talk to you about abstinence if you're going to say no sex when you're young. Like have, have that community be involved. And maybe he has more community involvement. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. So I wanted to go down a list of places. We've touched on a few of them already, but um, to get your take on whether they're safe or not right now. So um, playgrounds, you believe are safe. What conditions would you put, if any, on, on their use? They're back open, but they were shut at first. So um, masking, I really think is, I really believe in. We say three or above in this city, and I think that's fair and fine. Um, and um, distancing, so the same signs can go right back up about how many kids can be in the swing. Hand hygiene would be great if there was like, I don't know if we can keep on refilling them, but sanitizer there. Otherwise, I think parents are bringing sanitizer. And then outside is outside. So um, yeah. those four conditions. Uh, and schools, that's a big issue. Um, private schools in San Francisco have been open for a couple of months with no major outbreaks, um, but public schools remain closed. Their latest timeline is um, a few hundred back maybe at the end of January, but um, kindergarten through second not back probably till the end of March. So that's a whole year for little kids with no in-person school. 
Yes, I really do agree with the opinion that was expressed by the San Francisco Chronicle editorial board. I think it is truly a tragedy that this kind of glittering rich city with all its tech and all its money uh, could not manage to open schools for um, uh, public uh, schools. And we just enhanced disparities even more, like you just said, by allowing uh, private schools to open. Um, I actually think those four non-pharmaceutical interventions are not as hard as we think. Masks are easy, they're cheap. Um, distancing uh, means that you may have to stagger like one week in and one week off. So the seventh graders are in and one week and then they're uh, off home. And then the second distancing. And then the third is hand hygiene sanitizers are pretty available. And then the fourth is ventilation. Well, we are so lucky in San Francisco that we have this weather, that we could actually be outside in many of it. Um, if we can't install the HIPAA filters and HEPA filters in time, then stuff like um, figuring out how to open windows, because people will say, well, the windows don't open. But I just know that there are construction workers who are available who can get those windows open. So I think we can figure out how to open windows. It just seems, yeah. <laughs> and so it, it, it's just so, the reason that those other schools are doing well are those four. And then you'll say, people will say, well, they have massive uh, testing campaigns. So actually, every uh, school has done it differently. The state has recommended every two months of testing. Now most schools are doing every two weeks. Um, and uh, every no one is getting tested twice a week, or if they are, that's a very rich school. It, and still, like you just said, wow, outbreaks are not happening in private schools. They've been open. They were even open, by the way, as we know, summer camps over the summer. So we had right. that bit of data as well. And then on top of it, any school, not just San Francisco, but anywhere all over the world, community transmission may lead to more cases in a school, but schools itself don't seem, if done right, don't seem to drive transmission the other way. And so all of that put together means that we, as a city, the city that I came to 25 years ago that I thought cared so much about the poor, um, allowed rich people to have schools and uh, people who couldn't afford it not to have schools. It's, it's, this will go down as a horrible moral, moral failing in the city. So um, if, boy, I, I don't know what to say. I'm very disappointed. Yeah. Um, and then I, we touched a bit on outdoor dining. So, you know, some of the parklets are open and it seems like people can sit in there pretty safely. Others, like if you look at streets in the marina um, and Cow Hollow are just like jammed like outdoor parties almost. Um, and some of them are built strangely to almost be like outdoor rooms with like walls all the way up, um, which is not outside anymore. What are your thoughts on how to keep outdoor dining safe or should it just remain closed through this surge? So um, now we're only <laughs> we're only three weeks away for when they can open it. I think at this point I probably support workers, but if um, if they're going to open, they have to have two sides open at least because that cross ventilation is really important. So it has to have both sides. So we can't be in a tent. Then small tables, and that means like kind of a household. So what is a household size in San Francisco? It's four, um, and then distancing. Um, and um, those tables being far apart from each other, masking by the wait staff um, and uh, hand hygiene and then masking of the customers. And I would be more enforcing of that until they eat. So, you know, I, I think all of those principles coming into play, they could open right now. But um, you're right, the tents and the essentially building of structures will can increase spread. Mm -hmm. And then touching on some indoor spots, do you think indoor restaurants should be closed basically until vaccines are more widespread? Mm -hmm. I do. I do. I do think that indoor dining in two studies from Chicago and then one kind of nationwide has been associated with re increased risk of transmission um, because not everyone has those perfect ventilation HEPA filters and outside air. So I would keep indoor dining closed. 
and gyms? Gyms, if they're ventilated, masked, and very separated, could stay open. Mm -hmm. Again, we're going back to our NPIs, our non-pharmaceutical interventions. And where do you fall personally on airplane travel? That's not obviously a decision of the city, but um, should people be on airplanes right now? I fall personally on, as soon as they instituted universal masking on airplanes, if, if airplanes were super spreading events, believe me, we'd have the data. Not only do we have good data from Taiwan and Beijing that planes are safe, we have a couple of studies from the United States, and then people will say, well, hey, they were sponsored by the airplane industry, so let's ignore those. Let's do the uh, Beijing and Thailand ones, um, or Taiwan, sorry. And beyond that, masking, distancing, and distancing has to happen. So like United can't do the, the middle seat if they do the middle seat. Um, but uh, masking, distancing, ventilation by nature is actually there. It's why we're so cold on airplanes, because <laughs> yeah. part of that filter is bringing in outside air. Um, uh, and then hand hygiene, which they hand you all these... Uh, packets of hand hygiene, those four can be maintained. So I think it's like very um, restrictive and sort of what is it called reflexive to say no airplane travel. Like my mother has been ill and I've gone and seen her three times during this pandemic. Do you think that we're in San Francisco kind of ignoring all the negative side effects of shelter in place, which are also health related, such as increased depression? Our drug overdoses have gone through the roof. Um, obesity, children's lack of learning, you know, everything else that's happening. Yes, I think you've been nuanced in the reporting about that. But I do have to say that um, the same things that made this city be criticized over the last 10 years, which is big tax breaks for um, tech companies, which is what the fact that we have a high homeless population, haven't built housing. All of those things are playing into our decisions on shelter in place. The SFG covered that the blue, deeply blue states of New York and California, California's response in general was favoring tech and finance and the rich. Um, and so we we keep on thinking we're that city, right? Like we keep on thinking because some of us have been here a long time or like you saw pictures of people on Haight-Ashbury or like we just we think we're progressive. But um, but no, we have favored tech. We have favored people can stay at home. We have not put into place um, the overdose deaths when the San Francisco Chronicle reported that on October 11th were 468. And that same day, the total number of COVID deaths were 123, three times higher than COVID deaths. We still haven't reached, luckily, thank God, uh, 468 COVID deaths. We're still, um, you know, something like 165. So, um, so that day, I would have expected, actually, October 11th, when the Chronicle broke that story, kind of this like, where's the emergency Moscone meeting? Everyone drop everything. We are having so much high overdose deaths. We see this a lot in our clinic because I'm a Ward 86 direct, uh, medical director. And... Um, um, I didn't see that emergency meeting, but I saw lots of emergency meetings about um, about COVID-19 cases. So, yeah, we, we of course we are. Uh, I mean, that is where we'll be criticized. When we say we're the right side of history, we're the right side of history on one infection, right? We're doing great. One infection, great, great, great. To this day, December 15th, low hospitalization still. We have not even close to the 15% ICU. We're not even there. We, no matter what people report, we're not there and we know it. Um, because, you know, you can get these numbers, you can pull these hospitalization and ICU numbers for San Francisco. So we're doing great. We're doing, we've done great. Um, but uh, everything else, we're going to fall by the wayside. And we have, we've let schools be closed. We've let overdose deaths happen. We've going to kick people out of the shelter in place hotels. Um, 
Uh, we're not supporting our poor workers. The Right to Recover program that Hillary Ronan started was built, built on donations and some city money, and then it ran out. So people who want to quarantine, if they test and get money to quarantine, if they're an undocumented immigrant, that money went away. Mm-hmm. All of these are are. I can are tell failures. you've been reading my columns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, actually, I do believe that of all of the... Yeah, I think you've done a very good job at actually, oh, it is you in particular who I look at because um, it is fair for you to, you are doing nothing but being you know, what you should be doing as media and reporting on these outcomes. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in what you were just um, saying in an offhanded way about the hospital bed. So are they not as full as we're being led to believe? I haven't looked at the data recently. These numbers are available, actually. Um, so, uh, you know, Bob Wachter tweeted that there are 52 people in Parnassus. The CPMC people tweet that there's 34. There's 23 right now at San Francisco General. Those are total numbers at these three hospitals with COVID. Um, and so uh, so in, in some, those three hospitals don't have the numbers that have reached the metrics that um, said, okay, we better close down. The rest of the Bay Area never has done as well as we, including San Jose at this moment. Um, so San Mateo did not do the preemptive shutdown. We did a preemptive shutdown. Um, and um, these numbers sh- are either publicly available or they should be, but enough people tweet about them that they're real. I think they're available. So um, no, no. I mean, our hospitals are always more full during the winter. That's by definition. And actually one tragedy at San Francisco General is we can't discharge people to congregate living situations like SROs because they've been closed, single residency occupancy hotels. So that's why our hospital can appear full. Our hospitals are full in the winter. That is by nature in a city with so much homelessness, we are more full. Yeah. And what are you forecasting for 2021? I'm hoping you're going to have some good news. (laughs) Are things going to get better? (laughs) So much good news. We did not actually, yes, the city did a great job in keeping our COVID severe illness low. I also think it's ventilation and masking. Um, And so we're never going to have the death rate, thank God, uh, that other cities had. Well, we're going to remain the lowest city, the lowest death rate. Then we had to think about the rest of the country because we didn't have that happen here. We need vaccinations. The country didn't fix itself. Yes, we could have closed down entirely and done a better job. Yes, Trump was a horrible public health messenger. On the other hand, we are so fractured in this country. I'm not even sure if our current system allows for like central responses because a state can say a mass mandate and then a county can go, nope, I'm going to opt out of this just like Kansas. So at this end of the day, this mess needs to be fixed with a vaccine. And yay, they're here. here They're not even just here. They're like here. They're like being being administered. People are like dancing in the street. Like this will fix our problem. Vaccines are vaccines. They will fix this pandemic. And then we will go back and everyone will write about what a mess United States was. And they will say it was all Trump, but we all know that it's a response to Trump as well that was not nuanced. And then many people will write stories about San Francisco, about how we favored the rich during this time. And And we can write those stories too, but we did great with COVID. Great. Very well said. Well, those are the end of my serious questions. And now it's time for the lightning round. Okay. Um, Some of these questions are more relevant to when the city's actually open, (laughs) but you can (laughs) think back. Where's your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Ah, the Taqueria on 16th and Valencia. Ooh, (laughs) I can't wait. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Um, it is actually Vertigo. So yeah, traditional, yeah, but classic. I love that. And where's your favorite place? This is really thinking back. Um, 
in San Francisco to get a stiff drink? Ah, that would have to be in North Beach, um, Tosca, and uh, I, I can't wait because I go to uh, City Lights and then I drink. What was the last book you read, speaking of which? So, okay, so I have to admit that I've been actually working a lot, but I just reread Franny and Zoe by uh, J.D. Salinger, which is my favorite, favorite, favorite book of all time for some reason, for many reasons, um, including its approach to Hinduism, and uh, I reread that. Oh, nice. Um, What was your first concert? Oh, it was in Utah. And it was Sting, and I just thought he was so very good looking. <laughs> nice. What's your favorite Sting song? Um, Every Breath You Take, because I wouldn't have minded at the time if he stalked me. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite depiction of a doctor on TV or in the movies? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I think they have to be anguished. They have to be like an anguished doctor and like not be too full of themselves. So, um I think it would maybe be in Grey's Anatomy, that surgeon guy, but I don't even remember his name, but he was always <laughs> looking really anguished because he was doing the wrong thing because he was like sleeping with an intern, but then he was a really oh. good surgeon. <laughs> Derek Shepard? Not him. No, not him. Not him, the African-American cardiovascular surgeon. Oh, I think I remember. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is a common misperception about doctors? Oh, that they're... Um, really progressive. I actually think they're kind of conservative because they're really nervous like people and they really want job security. So they get married really young and they um, are kind of nervous, conservative people. And I don't mean politically, but they're just like, they don't take a lot of risks. Yeah. What is the thing you're most looking forward to about the pandemic ending? Something that you can't do now that you really want to do? So I did go and see Frida Kahlo um, exhibit uh, briefly when the brief teeny bit of time that the museums were open. And I want them to keep it there, please. And I need to go and look at each of those paintings in detail again because it was amazing. Yeah, I saw it briefly, too. But Did I you? To so back. fast. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <I was laughs> and like, they, and they rushed you in and out. <laughs> yeah. Um, last question. What is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? I always squeeze into my busy day hugging my two little boys who are 12 and 10. Ah, great. I have two boys also. Yeah, (laughs) they're good. Boys are good. They like their mother. Yes, they do for now. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That was a great, uh, those were great questions. Thank you. Thank you to Dr. Monica Gandhi for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. 